It's good to be with you this morning. I want to take just a moment to look forward to next Saturday. Next Saturday is our annual spring outreach day here at Netherwood Park, our Reach for the Sunday. Um, it's a day when we invite all of our friends and our family and this neighborhood around us to come and get to know us better and hopefully get to know our Lord and Master Jesus Christ better. I hope that all of you have that on your calendar. I hope all of you are planning on being here for at least part of that time to participate. It goes from 11 o'clock until 2 o'clock on Saturday. There'll be a car show. There'll be food. There'll be bouncy houses. There'll be any number of other things going on. But most importantly, this is an opportunity to meet and greet um, our neighbors around us so that we can show them the love of Christ. So please plan on being here next week uh, between 11 and 2 o'clock on Saturday. Also, I want to give a Project 9K update, our Bible reading Challenge here at Netherwood Park, we've challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017, and to date we have read 1,355 books of the Bible, so good job, keep up the good work. I know a couple of people have already read all the way through the Bible once this year, and are ready to take up on the second time through, Um, and others of us are well into the Bible, so continue to read, continue to report, and look forward to the day we'll be able to celebrate together the fact that we have reached our goal of 9,000 books of the Bible. Well, today we are continuing in our sermon series from the Gospel of John. We'll be in the 17th chapter of John today, so this would be a good time to grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn there with me. John chapter 17. Today we're going to talk about unity, and David, thank you for those songs that we've been singing about unity. And as we get ready to talk about unity, let's pause for a moment and let's pray together. Father, our prayer is that you will bind us together. Father, bind us together as a body, as a family, as a church. And Father, we pray that our unity will be like the unity that you have with the Son and with the Spirit. And Father, pray that we will be in you and you will be in us. So that, Father, we can truly have the perfect unity that you have called us to. Father, give us a unity that is centered in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's once again set the stage for where we find ourselves in John's gospel. As we talked about last week, troublesome times are here. As the 17th chapter of John opens up, the disciples and Jesus are just moments away from Judas's betrayal. They're just moments away from Jesus' arrest. Jesus and the disciples are just hours away from Peter's denials and from Pilate's cowardly capitulation. Jesus will soon be hanging on a cross and Jesus will shortly die. Troublesome times are here. And Jesus has just comforted his disciples with the good news of the Holy Spirit the good news of the counselor that will be with them and in them and alongside them. He's just promised to send the spirit who will continue to bring his peace in the midst of the coming chaos. Jesus has just promised to send the spirit who will continue to bring his presence in the face of their impending loss. He's promised to bring to send the advocate who will bring Jesus's continuing guidance in the midst of their over 
overwhelming confusion. Jesus has just promised to send the advocate, the comforter, who will bring Jesus' continuing comfort during their overwhelming grief. He's promised to send the counselor who will continue to teach Jesus' truth in the face of Satan's lies. Jesus has promised not to leave his disciples alone. His disciples then, his disciples now, and the disciples who are still to come. He promised not to leave us as orphans. He's promised not to leave us on our own. And Jesus does something else. Jesus also leaves his disciples with a prayer. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to a close. He knows that troublesome times await his disciples. So Jesus does what we often do when we experience our troublesome times. He stops. He pauses. And he says a prayer. And this prayer that Jesus gives to the Father is about glory. And it's also a prayer about unity. And it's a prayer that's focused on his disciples. It's focused on his disciples then. It's focused on his disciples now. And it's a prayer that's focused on the disciples that are still to come. Troublesome times are here. And so Jesus pours out his heart to God in prayer. We need to understand it's a prayer for us. So let's listen to Jesus' prayer. John chapter 17. He prays, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in this world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me. Jesus is praying for us, for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's quite a prayer, isn't it? Jesus prays about glory, and he prays about unity. He prays about how God's glory was soon to be fully revealed at the cross. We'll have a lot more to say about the glory of the cross next week. And Jesus also prays for his disciples. He prays for his disciples then, he prays for his disciples now, and he prays for his disciples still to come. He prays that his disciples would have a unity, a unity that reflects his unity with the Father. A perfect unity, an inseparable unity. Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus. Jesus in his disciples and the disciples in Jesus. All perfectly united, united as one. Seems kind of interesting, odd even, that Jesus would bring glory and unity together in this prayer. So why does he do that? Why does Jesus bring glory and unity together in this prayer? Why does he join together what is about to happen on the cross with the unity of his disciples on the other side of the cross? Well, I believe that he brings glory and unity together in this prayer because they themselves are inseparable You see, unity isn't possible among Jesus' disciples. The disciples then, the disciples now, the disciples who are still to come. Unity simply isn't possible without God's glory. The glory that was fully revealed on the cross. See, we need to understand that our unity comes out of God's glory. God's glory is the way to our unity. Unity. 
But the relationship between unity and glory doesn't end there. You see, not only does God's glory revealed through Jesus Christ make unity among Jesus' followers possible, not only does that happen, the relationship also works the opposite way. You see, our unity testifies to God's glory. Our unity points to God's glory. Our evidence is, our unity is evidence to this fractured world in which we live that God's glory is in fact the truth. And it does that because Jesus on the cross is the only possible explanation for the kind of unity that Jesus is praying about. You've probably heard people refer to the sign of the cross. Well, our unity as followers of Jesus Christ is the true sign of the cross to the fractured world in which we live. Let's not forget what Jesus said. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in this prayer, in John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? Well, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, it's our unity as believers. It's our unity as the church. It's our unity as the body of Christ that testifies to God's glory. That testifies to God's glory, the glory that was revealed by Jesus on the cross. So why did Jesus, during this particularly troublesome time, why did he take the time to pray for the unity of his disciples then? His disciples now and the disciples who are still to come. Well, he prayed for our unity because our unity points to the cross, the glory of the cross. And he prayed for our unity because he understood that unity is hard. Can I get an amen to that? Unity is hard. And let's be honest, over the 2,000-year life of the church, Jesus' disciples have continually struggled with being united. And since we have continually struggled with being united, our testimony has been compromised. If it's our unity that's supposed to be the sign of the cross to the fractured world that's around us, what does our disunity do? What does our disunity point to? Yeah, Jesus prays for our unity because unity is hard. 
In fact, unity is difficult even during the very best of times. And unity is extremely rare in troublesome times. But unity is absolutely necessary for Jesus' followers at all times. Because unity testifies to God's glory. That's why Jesus prays for our unity. And that's why Paul and Peter over and over again exhort Jesus' disciples. The disciples then and the disciples now. He, they exhort the disciples over and over again. They remind us over and over again. They push us over and over again to be united. Because they too understand that unity is hard, but unity is necessary because unity points to the glory of the cross. Unity is hard in good times. It's rare in troublesome times, but it's necessary for us at all times. So I want to take a moment. I want to read some of what Paul and Peter had to say about unity. We've heard Jesus pray about our unity. Now, let's listen to Paul and Peter exhort and challenge and push us to be united in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul wrote this. He said, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul continued the theme. He said, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, he wrote this. He said, here, here there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And Christ is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, If you have 
any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, Paul says a prayer of his own. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8, he says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now Jesus prayed for unity. And Paul and Peter exhort and challenge and push us to be united with Jesus Christ. And Jesus prayed and Peter and Paul exhorted and pushed because unity is hard and unity is a necessity. And Peter and Paul do something else interesting when they're talking about unity. They make it very clear that unity isn't hard because of troublesome times. No, they make it clear that unity is hard because of troublesome people. Unity is hard because of troublesome people. Unity was hard because of troublesome people then. Unity is hard because of troublesome people now. And unity will be hard in the future because of troublesome people then. That's what makes unity hard. To paraphrase an old saying, we have met the enemy of unity and it is us. We know this, don't we? Oftentimes, instead of uniting as the body of Christ, Jesus' disciples all too often divide just like the world divides. See, the world teaches us that any differences that we might have, those are perfectly good reasons to divide. And certainly, if we have any kind of dramatic differences, that always should lead to division. The world teaches us that we should divide along racial and national lines. After all, Jews can't get along with Greeks, right? 
And the world teaches us that we should divide along social and economic lines, because after all, slaves can't get along with those who are free, can they? And the world teaches us that we should divide along gender lines because men and women simply can't get along, can they? And the world teaches us that we should divide along political lines because we all know that Democrats and Republicans can't get along, can they? And on and on and on it goes. And that's what makes unity in the church such a powerful testimony to the world around us. Such a testimony, a strong testimony to the world around us because it's so different than the world around us. It's a powerful testimony to the glory of the cross, the glory of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful testimony because unity in Christ among these dramatically different people surely requires divine intervention. Unity among believers from all these different walks of life with all these dramatic differences that can only happen by the glory and by the power of God. Unity only happens because of the cross. Unity requires divine intervention. And we should all continually thank our God for our good fortune because the divine has already intervened. The divine has already intervened. Jesus has come into our world. He has lived as a man. He did take the slave spot. He did go to the cross. He did die for our sins. He did walk out of his tomb. The divine has already intervened. And because the divine has already intervened, it shouldn't take a modern day miracle to unite us as the body of Christ. It shouldn't take a modern-day miracle because the miracle has already occurred. You see, we should be united as the body of Christ because of the miracle of the cross. We should be united because God has drawn near to us by sending Jesus to us. And because he's drawn near to us, certainly we can draw near to each other. See, because of Jesus' continuing presence with us through the spirit that he has given us, surely we can be present for each other. It's when we're all drawn closer to the cross that we find that we are drawn closer to each other. How do we achieve unity? It's not a modern-day miracle. It's because of a miracle that's already occurred. How do we testify about the glory of God revealed through Jesus on the cross? We get there by following the path of Jesus. You see, we draw closer to each other by following the one who went to the cross. We unite together. We come closer to each other. We do that by coming closer to the cross. We do that by following Jesus. Jesus who has achieved glory. And he achieved glory not by becoming our king on this earth, 
He achieved glory by becoming our slave down on his knees. We achieve unity and we come closer to the cross by following Jesus. Jesus who achieved glory. Not by sitting on a throne here on earth, but by hanging on a cross. We achieve unity. We testify to God's glory revealed through Jesus on the cross, not by some modern day miracle. We do it when we follow Jesus to our knees, when we take the slave spot, when we serve each other. And we achieve unity as a body, and we testify to God's glory when we follow Jesus straight to the cross. When we sacrifice our desires, when we sacrifice even our needs for the needs of each other. That's when we're united with each other. That's when we testify to God's glory. It's when we're united with Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's when our differences just disappear. We don't have to overlook them. They disappear. And that's when God's glory shines through us for all of the world to see. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's end by standing and let's sing about the love that can only come from God. Let's stand. Let's sing. Sing.